Hello, everybody. This is Eric Wright, the host of your Disco Posse podcast. Thank you for listening. This is a really, really fun show. Uh, we feature Joe Rare, who calls himself an underground entrepreneur. You'll find out what that means. He's the founder of Level 9 Virtual, as well as uh, many other businesses. We really dive into how he kind of got started and, and his methodologies and uh, this real, real concept of, of doing good and doing well, which is something that I subscribe to myself. But before we jump into Joe Rare, let's talk about everything you need for your data protection needs. I've got to give a shout out to our sponsors, which include that of Veeam software. I'm a fan of Veeam because I've been a user, a customer, and also uh, an evangelist for, for their platform for a long time. They're a fantastic group. They're a really good supporters of the tech community. And more than anything, they are everything you need for your data protection needs, whether it's on-premises, in the cloud, SaaS, your stuff like Microsoft Teams and Office 365. Oh, yeah. And those cloud-native things. Remember, everybody said, hey, I'm going to get Kubernetes, and that's going to just solve my problems. Well, kids, that's actually going to create problems. Uh, so there's a lot of persistent, stateful workloads in your Kubernetes environment, and you just don't realize it. So make sure you check out Kasten. And of course, you want to get your business continuity under control. And the way to do that is with Veeam's Disaster Recovery Orchestrator. So VDRO, Vidro, what a name. I love that. Hey, Vidro. All right, check it out. Go to vee.am forward slash disco posse. That's how you can find out more about the Veeam team. So to do that, go to vee.am forward slash disco posse. All right. And also, a couple quick shout outs. First of all, Diabolical Coffee, most wicked cool coffee. It's the devilishly good coffee. It's really good. It's actually a fantastic coffee. Uh, I drink it daily. And on top of that, we've got the best merch in town. I'm the co-founder of Diabolical Coffee. Not only do we have best coffee, the best merch, and the brand new shirt that's coming out any day now. It's a super special. It's a limited edition tea called Devil's Breath featuring amazing artist Zine Rashidi. So you're going to want to check that out. Go to DiabolicalCoffee.com and get yourself hooked up. And then one more thing, because uh, one of the things I've enjoyed doing is I wrote a book recently called The Four-Step Guide to Delivering Extraordinary Software Demos. It was designed to help technologists and, and technical sellers and product marketers in helping them to better connect with people to understand how to connect to both the human side as well as the, the business outcomes that you need in order to tell your story in a way that matters to customers. So go check it out. Go to VelocityClosing.com, and I've actually discounted the whole kit. It's only five bucks. Seriously, five bucks. Just go get it. It's really cool. All right, this is it. This is Joe Rare. This is a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. My name is Joe Rare, and I'm an underground entrepreneur, and I'm on the Disco Posse podcast. Joe, thank you very much for joining. This is, see, I get the rare treat that when I have somebody come on the show, I feel like they're already my friends because I've like done a lot of research and, and watched a lot of your content. So first of all, thank you for joining. And yeah, you're, you're a, an incredible creator, uh, both on the content side, uh, as well as on the business side. We're going to explore a lot of fun stuff around that. So Joe, if you want to just for folks that are new to you, if you don't mind sure. just introducing yourself and give a quick bio and then we'll, we'll start sure. with your, your story. Yeah. So, uh, I, I call myself an underground entrepreneur cause I like to kind of hide behind the scenes. Um, 
I don't necessarily need to be the face in the front side, but I'm always dabbling in in some things. And I like to leave it at that because there's always something new. There's something exciting. There's something I want to try. I want to I want to figure it out. And and I and I love the idea of of starting from the bottom and and building up. And so um, really, that's that's kind of what what drives me. And um, you know, I'm a I'm a family guy. I've got obviously. Whoops, here we go. I got my daughters up here. My you know my my wife. It's just the, the four of us and our dog. Um, you know, I've got a, a few businesses that I operate. Kind of my core business is my is Level Nine Virtual. It's my virtual assistant services company. And um, got a lot of VAs now, <laughs> lots of clients, and um, it's a really fun company. But you know, our whole goal is is helping small businesses create leverage and helping them grow um, in this. You know, especially now. I mean, this is very much a virtual world that we have been kind of force fed into, regardless of what your business structure was previously. And so um, we're helping a ton of businesses right now. We had the pleasure of being able to save a lot of businesses through COVID. Um, when they had to let staff go, but yet they still have to try to keep the doors open. How do they fulfill services? And we got to step in and, and do a lot of that. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I, I just like business. I like playing the, playing the game of business and, and, uh, yeah, now I get to meet guys like you and, and, and be on podcasts. <laughs> so this is the, I'll, I'll say the, the lifestyle businesses. And I guess one, we often hear the word, the phrase, the new rich, yeah, uh, obviously, the or origins of that come from Tim Ferriss and sort of sure. work week. I, as I read through a lot of your stuff, definitely there's you can sense where we all have influences from that. Not that that necessarily was like you are a result of you know reading the Four Hour Work Week a bunch of times and then you kind of did it. But no, no, I am. I, no, I, very, <laughs> I mean, I can I can get down to it. I took the book. And, um, I forget what it was, 2008, I guess. And I opened it up on my, on, you know, I'd already lost everything. I'd been in the real estate business and had a lot of investments and I was a, uh, a fast, you know, kind of wealthy, you know, real estate investor and made a lot of money in my early twenties. And, um, and then the market crashed and I lost everything. And so come fast forward a little bit. I said, hold on, there's, there's this book that I read and I got to sit down and figure this thing out. So I literally opened the book. And page by page by page, I built a business on that exact model and I ran it for years. And I had VAs run it. And that was my introduction into virtual assistants. And so in November of 2018, or excuse me, November of 2008, I hired my first full-time VA and I have had one working for me every single day since. Wow. Not one day has gone by that I haven't had one full-time working for me in some capacity. And now my internal team is, is I think we're at 22. So very, very different world these days. Yeah. Well, and I guess, uh, so it's, it's funny because I think that some of the best founder stories and the best success stories, especially ones that I love to hear. And I think that all of us like to hear, it's not just the like, yep, born rich parents all, you know, got their money in Berkshire, uh, you know, went to Harvard, uh, started, founded a company. It was successful. You know, like those are great stories because you still right. get lessons from them, but like what, makes us love folks like Tim Ferriss and, and even Anthony Robbins and many others that we can call out from the kind of whatever the, whatever that genre is, I guess, is that they've tripped and yep. they've failed and they've survived and they've recovered. And I think that's really the story is like yeah. the recovery and resurgence, the kind of Phoenix 
that's the hero story. That's the, the one of the kid that drops the ball, but then picks it up and runs the 50. Like it's, yeah, that's the one we want to see. We don't want to see the perfect throw. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I've got a couple, I've got a couple good trips. So I've, uh, I've had to rebuild a few times. So it's not, it, I mean, I, it's definitely not the, home, the, 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 the halt, you know, I guess I don't even know what story it would be. I mean, the, the easy, the easy road, it definitely wasn't that, um, lots of failures, lots of loss, lots of, uh, sleep in my sister's spare bedroom, like that kind of stuff. I mean, that's, that's the, I mean, that's, that's, it's funny when I think about entrepreneurship and I think about like building businesses, I'm like, that's what happens. Yeah. That's just what people go through. It's not, you know, it's all, it's almost like a, uh, you know, you have to go through that to graduate on and move forward in, in that world, right. right? Otherwise, you just don't have the experience that you have to have. Because, um, I mean, you know, a lot of people talk about it, like getting punched in the face, you know, like you need life to punch you back. Otherwise, if it's too easy, when you do hit adversity, then you crumble, you know. Right. But if you've been, if you've been, you know, boxing your whole life, like, you know, getting one on the chin doesn't hurt as bad. Yeah, and it's even the that sort of continuous adversity and, you know, facing it, knowing like you got a high percentage of chance that this is going to suck. It's going to hurt. You could like nothing's a guarantee, but going into that, it's like, even my wife used to joke, she'd say, Hey, look, like you're from Toronto. You should like, you know, you shouldn't be worried about the cold weather. I'm like, well, it's like a boxer, like boxers get punched a lot. They don't like it. They just yeah. know how to handle it and they yeah. deal with it. Like it's, there's no love of cold weather for me. It's just, if, if I could live in Florida, I'd live in Florida. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. But the, what you really bring up too is, you know, the serial entrepreneur, the underground entrepreneur, this story, like what I find is most entrepreneurs, even if it seems like this, come from nothing story and it's the their first shot at it and they were successful that's never the real story there no. no one sees the miles and the and the hours that went into multiple failures multiple attempts oh, yeah. that led up to that so i mean i i want to go right back to the origins what was the first thing that joe rare did that told you that you were different than the other kids, but you like, you thought you had a business brain, I'm guessing from the, the early days in, in the Joe rare lifestyle. I, I think so. I probably did. You know, we did the, we did the lemonade stand stuff. We would try to, uh, you know, we would try to sell, I mean, we tried to sell all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, if we had, if there was junk laying around, I mean, we tried to sell it. Not that, not that I knew that I was doing it from a from a business minded standpoint, but you know, for me, when it really hit was, um, I hated reading as a kid. I hated reading. Um, I'm a slow reader. I still am a slow reader. Uh, but I, I was taking a trip and actually it's funny because, you know, before we, we talked about my grandparents being from Winnipeg, Manitoba, we were driving from Northern California all the way up to Winnipeg, which is not a fun drive. And we're in a motor home and it's me and my, a couple of my siblings and my dad, and it's just us and we're driving and it is boring. I mean, you get, you go across interstate 80 in Nebraska and like you, there's nothing to see for a long, long time. And, um, but anyway, I had brought, I had bought a book and I think I was, I was 17 or 18 at the time. And, um, it was rich dad, poor dad. Oh yeah. And, yeah. And, and that book clicked and it, and it literally, it shifted everything. 
that was, that was the moment when I'm like, oh yeah, that's always been in me. You know, that's what I, and, and all of a sudden, like it all made sense. It all felt, and I'm like, okay, this is who I'm supposed to be. And so other than working as a server, like while I was going to school uh, in restaurants, like I've never really had a job. I've always started businesses. And so, um, you know, I ended up dropping out of school and I went to Seattle and I started a business in Seattle. I brought it back down to Northern California, had an office here. Um, I ended up selling the company, um, not for much money, but um, enough to get me started into real estate. And then that got me into real estate and doing really well with that became, you know, what seemed like successful. And then that crashed and then it was on to the, you know, the four hour work week, you know, kind of business lifestyle. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm very much a dreamer. Like I can dream really, really big and I can, you know, create this, you know, all of these ideas on how amazing this is going to be. Um, but the one, the one area I think that, that really I know through and through that makes me, I guess, different than everybody else is how fast I'm willing to fail. Like I've, I've always met every challenge head on. I love, I love the idea of competition. I love the idea of, of going for something that everybody says you can't do. Everybody tells you it's not possible. Oh, that's not going to work. I love going for that. Let's do it. And <laughs> so that's uh, like, hold my beer. Like that is the moment. That's right. I yeah, tell people it. that like all, most of my successes in life have been despite advice, not yes. as a result of it. And it's like almost everyone's just like, this is pretty much a bad idea. You know, starting a yeah. podcast, mm, it's a lot of work and it really doesn't pan out. I'm like, uh, I'm 170 plus episodes in. It's doing okay. It's doing like, okay. I mean, it's, and it's work, <laughs> it's grinding. It's like, there's yeah. certain stuff, you know, that why people are afraid of certain things because they yeah. don't, they don't know that the payoff is like, they're, they don't know that they're willing to do that specific grind. And I'm not right. talking the the Gary Vaynerchuk, like you need to be grinding 18 hours a day, you know, kind of lifestyle. God bless Gary V. I, I don't mean to pick on him, yeah, but no, he no, was of course. sort of well known for what they call the struggle porn type of yeah. lifestyle. The irony is now on the other side of it, he's hit this next like life phase where now he's like drawing like art on bar napkins and, and, you know, selling it for NFTs. And he's, he's really kind of realized to think, Hey, I don't need to, be grinding 18 hours a day and it's one thing if you love it if like that's if that's part of you know like how he'll say it, his dna right is like to just do that yeah. then then god bless you go get it go do that yeah. I, I i live that you know i launched an agency in in 2006 15 um and we, i was doing the 15 hours a day and grinding and grinding and working and next thing you know we've got a bunch of employees in a building with glass walls and all that fancy nonsense plus i had 15 vAs and i'm i'm like why am i running this business with all of these human beings sitting around me and there's no difference between if they were sitting right here or if they were virtual there's no difference the output isn't better because they have a desk right here it's you know and and so I went through this and, and I eventually I ended up taking some advice from a friend. I just ended up closing down the agency, got rid of all my clients, got rid of all of the employees and started from basically zero with one client in, an, in, in a specific niche and then grew that company really, really quick because I created leverage. I just was super hyper-focused, very niche down. Um, but I, I also realized that I need to do things that actually fit what I want in my life. And 
that other agency model wasn't it. I wasn't happy. And I was doing the 15 hours and I was watching Gary V videos every day. And I was, you know, and, and I think I got caught up in a lot of that and it ended up causing me a lot of pain and a lot of failure. Um, and, um, but you know, then on the other side of that became all of this success that I can now attribute to that failure, you know? And it's this interesting thing of the word success and the definition of like the personal definition of success is so vastly different from person to person. And that yeah. that's really kind of what ends up causing this, this interesting problem of like, people say, Hey, you've got X amount of money in the bank. You're successful. You've got X number of cars. You've got X amount of free time. And so what looks like success by any measure, the agency you have, the amount of people you employ, the amount that you're feeding back into the economy, all of the stuff would by most people's measure would be like, right. that's it, Joe, you've made it. That's right. Keep going. And I got that every day. Yeah. 25 more years and you're good to go. Yeah. You're like, hi, I can't do this for 25 days. I, I'm yeah. not comfortable with this lifestyle anymore. Right. And I, and I think that that's a, that's really important to understand is, is what makes you happy is also a, that, that needs to sit really high in that measurement of what success is. It has to sit really high. And if happiness isn't a part of your success plan and your success measurement, um, if that's not one of the top metrics, then you've probably got it all wrong because you can have tons of money and tons of money creates opportunity, freedom, resources, those things. But if you're still miserable and you're not like loving life, then you're definitely not successful. Yeah, it and it also becomes the the balance of like, when do you stage and schedule your enjoyment, right? And and so many of us get caught up in this, like, I'm gonna grind hard, do my, even yeah. like, I didn't grind necessarily, but just like, I'm gonna, gonna do my yeah. 40 years at the company, I'm gonna do whatever. And that was very much the lifestyle that we were told was the goal. Yes. Uh, by our, our parents and, and, you know, maybe a little further back. And it's, it's the, so much of the lifestyle change, even rich dad, poor dad doesn't map today because the methods that were leveraged in the book to, you know, exploit economic capabilities are not there in the same way today. This is one would say, even, I think even Tim Ferriss, he says like, I can't even go back and rewrite the book because I'd have to rewrite 70% of it because a lot of it's needs to be revisited. Yeah. Uh, like the methods are right. I but the yeah. references are no longer specific. Yeah, I think the methodologies in Rich Dad, Poor Dad probably align a little better. And I think that you can um, take kind of the core competencies out of that and still put them into place today. I think that the structure of building a business in the format that they referenced is gone. I think that's never coming back. You know, um, a bunch of, you know, building businesses with tons of employees I think a lot of those days are are going to be limited. I mean, you look at the biggest companies as far as revenue and goes in the world right now, like the Facebooks of the world have far less employees than like GE, right? right. But yet you look at their valuations and they're way up at the top, but yet they they don't employ as many people. So when you look at like kind of the the economic standard around them, like they're just not as good of businesses for the economy, right? For jobs and for all of that. They just don't employ enough people, even as big as those companies are. 
And so it's, yeah, I think that a lot of those, that, that company structure is, is changing. And then, I mean, obviously over the past, you know, 18 months, I think that everything's changed. Yeah. This is interesting too, because yeah, like there's the, there's the secondary effect of, of a business's success in that, what it feeds back into the overall economy. Right. And like you said, so revenue per employee is fantastically high for Google and for Facebook, but there are, which is probably another reason too, why a lot of folks really get kind of wrapped around the axle around how much influence they have because they say, look, like they could go away, you know, and 2000 people or 5,000 people don't work anymore. It evacuates the economy of a lot of money, but then they say, well, but it's actually not doing it because where's that money going? It's going into these bizarre unicorn and decacorn valuations that are, it, it's yeah. It's very interesting. Like the world of business is so fundamentally different now in what opportunities we have, but the models are the models are all wrong, which is interesting. I I, I agree, and I think the Silicon Valley of the world uh, kind of messed up a lot of that too, because I think it took it it took the you know the generation probably below me, you know, and I just turned forty, and I think that the generation behind me now isn't looking at building a business the same way I, I am, right? They're looking at building the unicorn. They're right. looking at getting venture capital and starting with angel investors and, and you know, them raising a bunch of money is like a cool thing for them, right? And then they go and they buy something fancy and then they go burn the cash because they're allowed to have this awesome burn rate, right? To me, I'm like, well, why wouldn't you just go build something smaller that makes money and then you just continue to grow it and it makes money? Like, and it actually makes money and it's a business and you can provide for your family because the chances of your unicorn hitting and, you know, it's, you're, you're one in hundreds and hundreds of thousands of, of these investments. Like you're just, you know, the chances of you doing it, but that's what they're, that's what so many of them are pushing for. Meanwhile, you could start an incredible business as, as a, an electrician or a plumber because trades are down. Right. We need those tradesmen and you could start an exceptionally successful business. You know, uh, at our property here in, in Northern California, just, this is our guest house and this is where my office space is. We just had this place renovated and it took, I think five, six different contractors to flake on us because they're too busy. Wow. And I'm like, Wait a minute. okay, there is too much work for contractors, home services, you know, all of these trades and yet they're being frowned upon because they're not going to big universities and they're not tech companies. And I'm like, but guess what? The guy who can swing a hammer and knows what to do to build a, build a property, he's worth a lot more than somebody who can bang on a keyboard and is, is freelancing right now, yeah. right? Because you can't land a big job. And so I, I just think that our entire like belief around building businesses and what creates value in our world is so so off off centered it really is yeah if it, it becomes the matter especially when you have to look i always tell people like be selfish at the start like think about personal value creation for yourself and your family and that's why i was really compelled by your overall story and and you're very strong about the importance of family in the decisions you make and the thought about your your ability to be family first and yet create value, create revenue. And it's funny, like revenue funded businesses are amazing. You know, they're, 
they're difficult to start and they're difficult to grow. But once they, once the flywheel is moving, venture, it gives, like you said, the ability to kind of hide behind gross burn rates. And then on the other side of it, just go get more funding as long as some, as long as something's going up into the right, but you know, everything yeah. looks like it's going up into the right until it's not. And then well, that, and that's you're, it. In a, you're in yes. a down round fund and things go, <laughs> things go sideways. That's right. And, and you know, you can, I don't know, I'm just such a simple business type per, like my businesses are so simple. My business models are unbelievably simple. The, the, you know, what I would call the back of the house in our businesses are so simple. And I think that this is people like fancy. They like complicated. They think the more complicated something is the better it's gotta be right. It's gotta be, you know, and, and the truth is, is that, you know, there's always a great analogy. Uh, uh, one of my closest friends that I always use, it's a, it's a football analogy and I played football my whole life. And, um, you know, I always say the MVP a lineman will never win the MVP ever, but the MVP never wins without the lineman. Blocking and tackling are the reasons that businesses either succeed or fail. The wide receiver doesn't make the business succeed or fail. Right. You know, that one-off big sales guy who hit that amazing, it, like, okay, great. But if the client leaves, because the blocking and tackling that core, you know, uh, you know, part of the business doesn't perform, then that client leaves anyway. And then the business doesn't succeed. And so, you know, I, I always look at everything. I just go, man, business is so business really is easy. If you get out of all of the flash and the glam and the, you know, get off Instagram, <laughs> right? <laughs> like looking at, at people who are, are, you know, putting up all these fancy pictures and, and trying to draw people in, to tell them how to make millions when they don't make millions themselves. And, you know, of course we could go down a rabbit hole with that one, but um, I just think that business is actually really, really simple, right? You produce, you know, you solve a problem essentially, and you have a really, really solid system around you to fulfill the services that solve that problem. That's it. It's not much more than that. It's right? elegant and then, simplicity. And yet it's so hard for people to, that's probably why a lot of people aren't don't believe it because it's like, well, I, I, they're like, I can't do this. I've actually, I saw a tweet the other day, which was interesting. And it said, uh, like, look at the opportunity we have today. You can start a business from a laptop and there's like this whole, there's a lot of flack around it. You know, I said like, you can start a business for $500 and, and immediately be online and growing. And there was this really interesting dichotomy in the feedback. And a lot of it was very negative. And I was like, I'm saddened that that people like just look for that opportunity to kind of throw yeah. a dig. And they said, you know, no, money, more, having money makes money. This is BS. And look, I understand that we <laughs> see folks that are already rich getting richer. And that's tough to watch for a lot of folks. And And, but at the same time, I looked at this and I wanted to kind of jump in but I also know to stay out of these conversations. And I said, yeah, a hundred percent. I started a coffee company. It's called Diabolical Coffee. The funny thing is like, I just, I used to exchange coffee at tech events with people. We would like bring coffee from wherever we were. And I said, well, one day I'm going to do this to actually raise money and do fundraising for something charitable. So I did, I created this brand and I sold t-shirts and mugs. 
And through that, we raised a thousand dollars and helped some two people actually go to a technology event. We paid for their lodging to go to Las Vegas. We somebody else gave them their their passes and we got them lodging so they could go to an event for a week that they would never have access to. Right. And so then I thought, okay, so long reason I got that story is that here I am, I've got this, you know, I've got a domain name, I've got a brand, I've got this crazy thing. So I set up a Shopify store. I find a fulfillment house that handles my coffee roasting. And I find a place that's able to do my shirts and hats and swag yeah. and stuff for me. And I set it up for less than 500 bucks and it was profitable in month one. So I'm like, I know this stuff can be done. And then immediately now I think, okay, well that's, they're like, oh, that's easy, Eric, right? You know, you already know the technology. I'm like, it didn't take that much. And the yeah. resources are out there, but, but here's really why I say it this way, Joe. What are we missing to help more people like see this opportunity? Like, do you think there's something that holds people back from whether well, the schooling system that yeah. kind of tells us this is not possible? Yes. I'm not sure. Yes. A thousand percent. That's, you know, that's why there's a, there's a, an organization that started a school system called Acton, A-C-T-O-N, right? So Acton Academies and, um, you know, through and through they're, they're teaching entrepreneurship, they're teaching self-governance, they're teaching self-accountability. It's completely different. It is a completely different world around what they're trying to get kids to understand because right now, everywhere you look, it's not my fault. It's their fault. It's their fault. It's their fault. The education, the education sucks. Like that is a fact. Like if you look in the world, we do not rank high in education in the world. We are terrible actually for being the most powerful country on this planet. We have horrible education, but like, then you can go down the rabbit hole and you can talk about all the reasons why, right? And it's indoctrination into a pathway to create just like literally sheep so that they can just go to their job, get in line, do their thing and just produce so that these companies continue to, to grow and grow and grow. And they're not teaching. This stuff isn't taught in school. Being an entrepreneur is not taught in school. You know, and, and I, I was, you know, I, I was probably an anomaly, right? I, I was one of the entrepreneurs who got good grades, figured that out. I, whatever, whatever it was, I hacked that and I was able to get through it and I got good grades. I was able to pay attention enough and, and, and do well and, and execute. All I cared about in school was playing sports. That's the only thing I cared about. So once that was done and I realized like, Hey, I'm not going to the NBA or the NFL, like that's over. Um, I only went towards entrepreneurship. It was the only thing that made sense to me. And I don't know why my, you know, my dad's a cop, my, or was my, my mom's a, uh, you know, was a, was a waitress. Um, why did I have this like drive to be an entrepreneur? I have no idea. But what I do know is that when I, if I'm going to put forth any effort towards anything, it better be to create my own destiny. It's got to be so that I could take care of these girls. I can give them a life that maybe somebody else couldn't have, you know, that, that I wasn't provided or, or whatever. I don't know what the reason really that drove me so hard, but I look at the system today and I just think, God, like why in the world are we not teaching people to be accountable for their own finances? Right. Why are we not teaching people about money in, in general in money? I had no idea. I think that's why I went broke multiple times. I had no <laughs> idea about money. 
you know? And so I had no idea how to run a business. I've had multiple, multiple mentors and, and, uh, you know, you take bits and pieces and you kind of start, you know, meshing it together. And hopefully you come out with something that, that produces a business that's, you know, that functions, but it's, it's a lot of book reading. It's a lot of like, you know, internet, like video watching and course taking and, you know, conferences and all of these things. We spend endless amounts of money. I've probably spent, I spent more money doing that kind of stuff than I did in, you know, going to a university. And all of the stuff that I got, you know, from doing all that, it's, it's all out there, right? I didn't need to go to a university for that. I got it all here. So, yeah, I mean, I think it starts with the education. I think it starts at home. I think, um, you know, it's really, really difficult for somebody to understand starting a business when the only thing they've ever seen before is the paycheck to paycheck life. The, this is how you need to do it. Hey, you got to go to college. You know, that was our, that was our thing. You got to go to college. You got to go to college. So I did, didn't like it. Didn't finish, started a business, you know, and at 22, I sold it. Not too many kids do that. So um, I definitely think that it's education is part of the problem because this isn't, this isn't celebrated. You know, somebody getting a trade and starting a company to be a plumber is not celebrated in this country. That's a problem because that guy, gal, whatever is going to be amazing and they should be celebrated. They should be given funding by the, by, by the state, whatever state they're in, they should be giving grants. You know, there's all this money floating around. They should be giving it to the people who are actually building real businesses. But we keep funding these unicorns. Yeah. Well, and this is this is very interesting. I I came about a lot of things in life through my my grandmother taught me a lot by how proud she was of anything I did. Not that she was proud of the thing I did, she was proud of how proud I was of each thing I did, right? Mm-hmm. I was a shoe repairman. I ran a shoe repair. I was a cobbler. What 19-year-old kid is a cobbler? But the I net result know. of what I was doing <laughs> is I loved what I did. I went, I I did that thing and I did it well. And I, I my rule, my simple rule is like, do good, do well. It's like the the simplest possible maxim. Yeah. Is what I'm doing having a positive effect on somebody's life in some way every day? All right, check. We're doing something good. Do well. God, just do do something that you're going to be proud of at the end of the day. And if you have a bad day, then make tomorrow better than today. It's, That's it. Pretty easy. That being said, a lot of hard days. There's a lot of failures. There's a lot of yes. misses. There's a lot of stuff. And like I still struggle. All of us do. And that's the other thing that we don't, we like, I don't necessarily want to celebrate it, but I think more people are acknowledging that it's not, you know, honey and roses. It, it, there are hard days. Even the most successful people have really bad days, right? They're Absolutely. still affected by a breakup. They're still affected by a loss of some kind, right? It's, yep. it's hard for us to it's hard for us to reconcile in ourselves. And like you said, I, I, I so much agree with this thing, right? When I was in school, I was taught, I took business English. It was funny. It was like a weird course. Cause I I'm 40 <laughs> something. I'm in my late forties. I don't even, I honestly don't even remember how old I am half the time. And I was, I was the only boy in the class and I was taking typing and uh, I was yeah. like 
on an old school IBM Selectric typewriter, right? It was funny, kind of funny. I was the only boy. And I was the weirdo because they're like, why are you taking this thing? Because when back then it was just the dawn of like, it was still like secretarial. Or yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, no, I want to become a computer guy. So I need to learn how to type. My dad's in computers. I want to get into computers. And we came from farmers. So my whole family outside of my dad are farmers or they work for the town. Okay. So I saw kind of like, like you had this thing where you're like, once you see somebody break the mold, you're yeah. like, there's no mold anymore. I That's am right. forever broken of a mold. <laughs> I, and I like that. I like that idea that breaking the mold thing, because, you know, when, when people say something can't be done, I just kind of laugh and I'm like, but people are doing it every day. There's nothing, there's nothing out there that can't be done. And so, you know, I am, I am really, really big into self-accountability and like taking responsibility for everything that you have do and receive. Nobody hands me anything. I don't get anything for free and I'm working my butt off in whatever capacity that might be. Maybe it, it's, it's a, it's me hiring the right people and putting the right virtual assistants in place to run my company so that I can have the space to actually, you know, think and, and generate the next, you know, thing that I'm going to do. Whatever the work is like, you know, I put it in and we're doing it and we're, we're, we're providing good service in exchange for our monetary value that, that we get from it. And that's how we're building our businesses. And, and when people say, well, but I, but you can't, you can't do that here. Or I came from a bad situation or I came from this. I'm like, then find somebody who's from the same place you are, who's in the same circumstance you're in. And they figured it out and they made it because it can be done. They did it. So go figure out what they did and go do it yourself. We're in just an, such an interesting time where nobody has to be responsible for anything. They don't have to. There's going to be a handout. There's going to be a stimulus check. There's going to be a, a something. A company's going to take care of me. You know, um, the, the truth is, is like at some point that the bottom falls out and you are responsible for yourself. And, and that's it. And I like who better to be responsible for me than me? That is, that, to me, I'm just like, how could anybody turn and go, hey, government, hey, you know, boss, like you're responsible for me. It's, it's up to you to pay me. It's up to you to make sure that I have food on, on, on my, you know, on, on my kids' plates. I would never let anybody be responsible for my children's welfare ever. That is me through and through. You, you and I don't think anybody that. Quite often the the discussion when someone's like, look, I, I work in technology and I, I work in a successful technology company. I have side things that I do as well. And like, I diversify what I'm doing so that in the longer term, it will have a payoff. And it's interesting that I see a lot of people that get really bent up about this thing when a big tech company who we love because we love the brand and they, we, we grew up on the technology, whatever it's going to be. And then they lay a bunch of people off because they're a giant, multi-billion dollar corporation and they have to do stuff like that, right? So right. They, they riff out a bunch of people, reduction in force. It sounds so much nicer when you say riff yeah. instead of layoff, but they, they riff a bunch of people and it's like people get really upset as it's a tough thing to experience for sure on yeah. either side of it. And then they say, well, remember, you know, the company, you know, don't, don't love your company 
because your company treats you like like cattle or chattel really in the end. Yeah. Like that's absolutely true. I'm lucky that I work for a small company and I am very responsible for the outcome that I have and that the company has. And that's why I so much adore my job because it, it affords me the ability to learn, grow, support my family. But I know that when it comes down to it, I always have it in my head. What happens when the paycheck stops? And immediately yeah. I think of like alternatives. Remember somebody asked me one time, they said, what would you do if you suddenly lost your job right now? And I lived in Toronto at the time. And, and so I said, well, okay. Uh, well, I remember I used to go downtown to the Eaton Center, which is the big shopping mall right downtown. And there's like a lot of tourists in the area. I said, um, you know, I, if you have to, like, I got to get through the first day. Okay, immediately. What's the first thing I do? Get through the first day. I got to make enough money to be able to eat. Okay, I can do whatever. I'm like, hell, I can get a deck of cards. I can do some card tricks. I can save up enough money. I can go to the pawn shop. I can buy a guitar for, for 50 bucks. I can all figure out something, right? Yeah. I can mow lawns. I can wash cars. I can do it. And and it's funny, then the person they're talking to, he goes, and that's why you'll never be homeless. Because the first thing you did was you immediately went into like How do I fix response it? mode. <laughs> yeah. How do you fix it? Yeah. And I had a, I, I was, I was responsibility, like, like what you said. Yeah. I was, uh, I, I was running marketing for a company. Um, and they were kind of like, a, you know, one of my big clients and, um, the two owners who are brothers sued each other, oh, no. <laughs> that situation. And, um, I realized at that moment that, uh, you know, the one that the, the, the one who sued the other one, I was, I was tighter with the guy who got sued. And I realized like, okay, this is going to be bad for my contract with that company. So I'm going to go. <laughs> and you like, like a child yeah. of divorce in a company situation, right? That's right. It was exactly that. And I went, oh, wow, this is going to end up being really, really bad. I'm going to, st- I'm going to go. And so, um, that, I, you know, right after that, I get in the car, I get, I get in my, uh, in my car and I call my wife and I'm just like, Hey, this is what just went down. Um, so I'm leaving there and, um, you know, obviously that's my biggest client. Like, what am I going to do? And, you know, that was in my head. And she goes, oh my gosh, do you want me to like, you know, do you want me to like come see you? Do you want, and I'm like, no, I, I need to go. I need to go get a client. And literally that afternoon, I signed another new client. The next day I signed three more. And all of a sudden, all of that income that I was getting was already fixed instantly. And, and, it, and it was just like, it's just resourcefulness. Like there is no possible way that if my, my income is taken away from me, that I'm not fixing it instantly. Right. I'm not sulking. I'm not upset. Like, yeah, that, that probably happens, but guess what? I have these kids. I have, life. We, have, we have, we have family, we have responsibilities and not, not to mention that. I mean, I mean, not to get in like the masculine, you know, th- thing, but like, I'm a man. And like, that is my role. That is the role that I chose to own in my life is to be a provider for my family. End of story. And I, I truly believe that part of the reason that we're in a lot of the predicaments we're in is the lack of masculinity, the, the lack of men owning the fact that they're going to provide, be there for their kids, be there for their families. Like children shouldn't grow up without a father unless there's a circumstance of death or, or something terrible. But like men, step up, be men, be responsible for your income. If you lose your income, figure it out. Like you said, you can mow lawns. You can do, you can, I mean, the, the kids down the road, they come over, hey, do you want us to, to weed eat for you? Awesome. Yeah, here's cash. 
yeah. right? It's better than the person sitting on their, on, on their butt, not doing anything. And, you know, just being responsible for every single thing in your life, good, bad, ugly, doesn't matter what it is. It is yours. Own it, take it, do something with it. Like, I, I just can't understand how anybody could sit back and think somebody else is going to provide for them. That is just mind numbing to me. And I, I can't wrap my head around it. It's the weird thing of like, everybody wants responsibility of the positive, but no responsibility for the negative. <laughs> and it's good. really tough. I like when you, if you kind of look to the Stoics and, and like the, the, that those, the philosophy around Stoicism, this is also like, I mean, and the funny thing is I've, I've so many people that get mad when you tell them that you like, you you follow in the readings and and you you try and follow the philosophy of stoicism they get like viscerally angry with yeah. you you're like you're the reason why this stuff like like no 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 it's a personal responsibility thing i think of like i i have i have a personal responsibility for the outcomes in my life certain things are not within my control so that means how can i possibly be upset about things that are outside of my control i'm a human so it does happen yeah, very often. And I struggle and work on it and I get through it. And when you sit there and you think to yourself, okay, you know, I call Joe and say, Joe, this just happened to me. And you'd say, well, guess what, Eric, you need to remember that's out of your control. What's in your control. Right. And like, yeah. I have to have that conversation with myself and my wife is fantastic. And she does this with me and she's like, okay, we can't fix that. Like little things that, but so why is it that people get upset that I'm not upset because I, this is a, I really, really struggle. And I think this is a great opportunity. There's so much opportunity. It's funny. I've, this is a very passionate thing. And, and I love that you are like involved in like, you, you can feel it in everything you, you do. And it's all of good. It's all yeah. out of good, which is the most fantastic thing. You're when I do this stuff and I try and coach people, it's never because like, oh, forget that guy. Like, you know, screw that kid. Like, I'm like, no, no, no. You can't affect that guy. You can't take responsibility for that kid. You can take responsibility for yourself. But like said, somewhere, yep. somewhere in the system, we, we dropped that one off the, the teachings or the coaching or the, the belief that we have a responsibility to ourselves and to our community uh, to do stuff. Well, and we just, yeah, it, it hasn't been celebrated for anybody to be responsible for themselves. Right. right. And it's, and, and that, and, and I think honestly, as a, as a society, we've taken away self-responsibility. We've taken that out and that that's actually not allowed anymore. Right. Like it's, it's right. kind of bizarre. It's almost like it's not allowed anymore. And so it's really interesting. And, you know, I coach a lot of small business owners and, you know, one of the first things that I do is go like, okay, so what are we going to do? What, what is the plan when this fails? And they're like, wait, well, what, what do you mean? And I'm like, cause you have a high probability this business is going to go under, right? Nine out of 10 actually. So what are you going to do when this fails? And they hate going down that road. And I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about it. Let's get through it because I know what I'm going to do, right? I know the, the, the things that I've put in place. So when something doesn't work out, I know exactly what I'm going to do to fix it or to replace it or to, you know, start over or whatever that might be. But most people don't sit and think, well, okay, well, I've got this job. And if I lost my pay, 
here's all the things in place to fix it, right? Immediately, these are the things that we do. Do I have savings? Do I have this? Do I have that? They, they don't put that, that stuff in place. Yeah. And, it is, and it's bizarre to me, and, and I, keep, I, I can keep going back to it. I'm just like, I can't comprehend how somebody would put all their eggs in somebody else's basket and say, hey, you are now responsible for the livelihood of my family, right? You had better have a backup plan. Because nothing is secure. And I mean, we, you see this, you see these big companies, they lay people off. Guess what? Their job is profit. Their job is to make sure that the owners, that the shareholders, that they are making more and more and more profit every single quarter. That is their job. The entire, everything that you see that that company does from the TVs that they make to the sunglasses they sell to whatever it might be, their job is to produce profit at the end. And if that means, guess what? Those 1,100 people, you're fired. You've got to let you go. And that's part of it. That restructuring matters. That's the game. That's it. Like there's not, you can get mad about it. It's the way it's always been. And you, Mr. I have a job and I'm, I'm letting them be responsible for me. You signed up for it, you know, and, and that there's a self accountability, right? You took that job knowing that's a for-profit company. They are absolutely going to do what is ever, whatever is in the best interest of the shareholders, the owners, whatever it is. And that might be letting you go. Like, how yeah. can you get, how can you get upset about that? It hits. They have singular goals. It's called a fiduciary responsibility. They're yeah. bound by the contract of their employments to achieve this result by reducing risk and growing the business. And unfortunately, when it comes to cash flow risk, one of the fastest ways to affect cash flow risk is to reduce workforce. That's it. And look, I, I'm with all the people that get angry about it. I'm, but at the same time, I'm also a pragmatist who understands why it has to happen from a business sense. Yeah. You know, it's uh, this is an interesting thing. It's funny. Like, so we still, you talked about the nine out of 10 failure and this is a neat thing I should for folks to listen to Michelle Seiler Tucker was on a very recent episode uh prior to you know when before this one aired and she has a book called exit rich she's been in the business of of selling helping people sell businesses and, right. and in fact buying distressed businesses growing them and then selling them so uh awesome. she was really really neat and she said based on the small business administration there's actually been an inversion that oh, since 2019 that 30 okay. percent of small businesses fail and 30 percent now and 70% of 10 year plus businesses are failing now. Okay. So in fact, what we've had is that what people believe was now going to be the next sustainable business has failed to innovate and adapt. And so yeah. it was very interesting. And she says, this was pre COVID. This was not, right. this was 20. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, to the good news is from somewhere, Joe, this is the stuff that you're, you and I are kind of earth that's not happening in the education system. People are self-educating. Like they're, thankfully, more people are seeing that there's opportunity and they're taking that opportunity. Now, it's early days. I'm not saying that in five years that they're not introducing still singular risk by being single focused and, you know, right. single income stream. But thankfully, we're starting to see that People recognize this is a viable future for themselves and for their families, which is. And I think they, I don't, I don't think they have a choice anymore. 
I mean, right. that's the yeah. interesting, thing, you know, especially I think that COVID even magnified it. You know, it's it's gonna um, a lot of people losing their jobs. A lot of people are kind of at home, and now they're unhappy in their workplace. You know, because now their workplace isn't you know necessarily in front of a screen, and they're just you know that that it isn't fulfilling them anymore. So now they're seeking other things. And now I hope that this continues to be the path, and that people start start businesses and they continue to have have success. And if it's seven, seven out of 10 instead of nine out of 10 that are, that are failing at 10 years, that's phenomenal. That's gigantic, you know, difference. Now, how that plays out in the next decade, like we're going to find out. But no, I love the fact that if it's going that direction, um, you know, the, the thing is like, we have so many resources now that are so available. You said in the very beginning, you could start a business for a hundred, for 500 bucks. Like you can literally start a business for 500 bucks. And I mean, it is amazing. So, you know, one of the things that I, I feel like I'm gifted at is taking action really, really quickly. And I've always surround myself with a team that is able to execute based off of just what's going on in my head. And so one of the things that we did, COVID was getting a little crazy and, you know, we're in Northern California. Um, uh-oh, got a technical internet hey, yeah. it's always funny for the folks that are watching you see it much yeah. more than you hear it luckily the sound's been clean but it was right get that also they see the screen sort of warble and, and a yeah couple of okay i was like you're still there luckily okay cool all right so we uh you know so my my family the kids are going kind of stir crazy you know covid's taking over northern california and we're going we need to get out of here and so we hook up our travel trailer to my truck and we we go let's just go and one of the things is we're traveling and we, you know, we're looking up my wife's on her phone. And she's like, man, I can't tell if this campground is, you know, a good place to stay. You know, I can't tell if there's stuff for the kids. I can't tell, you know, if it's going to be good for the dog or, you know, whatever it might be. And, you know, and then she has her standards of a campground. And so, you know, as we're going, I'm like, yeah, man, this is, this is really difficult to figure these out. And after it happens three and four and five times, I'm just like, campgrounds suck at marketing. There's an opportunity. So that night we hook, you know, unhook the travel trailer. Everybody's, you know, settling down and I grab my iPad pro and I take this, you know, little pencil thing off and I draw like a little sketch and say, Hey, I want to create a landing page. I want to create this offer. And, um, I want, you know, somebody on my team to go ahead and do this, build this out for me, have it ready for tomorrow. Here's kind of what we're looking to do. And then as we're going, I just start calling and I'm like, Hey, you know, I was trying to book with you guys, but I couldn't really tell, you know, and, and I said, it was really difficult. So we ended up booking somewhere else. And then it got me thinking, Hey, I own a marketing company and I thought I could, you know, might be able to, you know, help you guys a little bit. Let's troubleshoot this. And here's what we can do for you. Boom, client, boom, client, boom, client. All of a sudden we've got clients coming in. <laughs> I don't even have a business around this, but we're making money. And you know, and then, so, you know, months and months later, I'm like, oh man, you know, we've got this kind of like little side business thing going on with these campgrounds. I got to decide if we're actually going to pursue this and do something with it officially. Um, and so now we're in the process of launching a company called Campground Digital. And, and it was just, I, I fell into it because in the moment I saw a need, figured, hey, I could, I could provide a solution. It's interesting that a lot of people don't view the world in a way that goes, okay, how can I always be advancing my own financial, you know, abundance? How can I always be looking for ways to create more value for the world at large, for small businesses, for whatever your sector is that you're interested in, and then constantly see those things and then actually take action on them. People don't take action. They don't actually try, right? Just try, 
Just try it. What's the worst thing that they said? Those people tell me no, they don't want my help. I mean, law of averages, somebody's going to say yes. So let's let's find those people. Yeah, and this is the, the one thing I will say, you know, but luckily, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably not the people that we're, to, that we're not talking to. Like, this is what's <laughs> interesting. There's a lot of folks, and, and I very much recognize that, look, I'm, I, I'm able to do things because I've, I've got some understanding, and I've, I've, I've taken it upon myself to learn. I'm comfortable talking in a room. I'm, there are certain things. There are very many people who are not, maybe not geared for this particular lifestyle or the entrepreneurial lifestyle at all, and that's, right. That's actually fine. And I only say this just because sometimes you get people when you talk about this stuff and this opportunity and things and people are like, you know, that most people won't be entrepreneurs and that you're like, I'm not anti the people that can't do this. I'm pro helping them to discover that they may have it in themselves. Right. That maybe they can make, they can be Etsy creators. Yeah. They don't need to sell it. They don't need, they could create a one page funnel. They host it on a click funnels. It's cost them yeah. a handful of dollars a month. They front their Etsy store. They create an offer. Like there's blogs, like they don't even need to sign up for a course. There's, there's lots of ways to get free access to content yes. or just yes. get on Instagram. Trust me, you're no more than 10 scrolls in your feed. And there's some offer, which is funny. Cause I, I know the, I know how the machine works and you know, you're yeah. in this business too. Right. So you see something and it's like four 99 eh, got the line through it. And it says $37. I'm like, ah, okay. You're a Sam cart guy because you, you know, like they, they, they quote yeah. the same numbers. It's like, oh, right. Like, this is fantastic. Like, why wouldn't you do this thing? Research what's viable. I'm spending 37 bucks or 57 bucks. And then once you know, okay, I'm comfortable, I can spend $200. I like, why wouldn't we, we would invest this money in a lottery, which you have zero chances. Statistically, yeah. you have near zero chance of winning. Yeah. People are comfortable throwing down 10 bucks a week on that. And yet they yeah. will invest, you know, that $40 that was spent in one month could have bought you a very simple course on how to unlock the power of Facebook ads. And that's, but that takes yeah. effort. That's the problem that takes effort. Yeah. Right. It's easier to sit back and, and abide by the, you know, by the path that's being laid forward in, in our society that you don't have to work hard. You can sit back and collect a, a you know, a check and you don't have to, you know, do things on your off time. You know, the, the escape, the world of escapism is scary. You know, the, the, it, it really is. And, you know, I, I look at, so, you know, I was really, it, it was funny in, in, in the beginning, you know, you talked about me producing content. And um, if you notice the dates on some of that content, I, I kind of stopped. Well, no, I did stop. <laughs> I got, I got into a place where I was just like, man, like this isn't, first of all, those aren't revenue generating activities for me right? So I don't make any money because I'm doing that. Right now, my focus in everything that I'm doing as an effort is a revenue generating effort. I want to do that for my businesses because that allows us to have bigger impact. So posting content on social media and then hoping somebody sees it and the algorithm likes what I put out and, and et cetera, et cetera. Like I would rather say, hey, let me produce some content. Let me put it out running ads, draw people in and actually like work with them because right. I can actually impact them, right? And so the, it, it's interesting, but 
you know, I got to a point where, especially, and it really, really hit home with this whole COVID thing, the censorship thing and all this stuff that's going on. And, you know, as we've, we've traveled, you know, we're, we're actually making a move from Northern California. We're moving to Montana. And so we're in this process. We're letting the kids finish the school year here. Then we'll be full-time in Montana. And it's been interesting as we've gone back and forth and we're evaluating people as we're in airports and we're all over and just watching and, and the, the entire world walks around an airport like this. Yes. This is down what, on the phone. They are. And it's just like scroll, 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 scroll. And this is what they're doing with their day. And I think about how much time are you spending scrolling and doing that and trying to figure out what the rest of the world is doing. And you're not actually dealing with you. You're not actually dealing with the things that actually could affect your own life. You're not in your own life. You're in somebody else's world. Like this is, this is other people's world. Like you're just looking at other people's world. This has nothing to do with you. And if people would step back into themselves and do themselves, do you, you do you. Stop yeah. worrying about everybody else. They would make so much, so much more stride financially, relationally, like being a good role model for their kids. This is not a good role model for your kid. It's not. And I feel like if we could put the phone down, have a conversation, get your children to talk to you, talk to other people, like actually have, engage in conversations, find your neighbor, talk to them. Like, Take the mask off and have a conversation with people now, right? Like, let's get back to actually caring about other human beings. And, and, and again, like taking responsibility and, and as you're not engaging and trying to figure out other people's lives and living in envy, you can actually make more and then you become what you're envy of, right? Like you can become that. And so that was one of the reasons I actually stopped producing content and I stopped putting out content um, and really I, I shut my Instagram down for a while. Um, I, I realized like, unfortunately I still do a ton of business through social media. Like, you know, 60, 70% of all right. of our business comes through social media. I can't, my business can't function without it right now. And so I don't shut it off, but I also don't spend time scrolling and doing all that. I've disciplined myself to stay off of it, stay in my communities that actually we drive business from, we, you know, we, we have profit centers from, we have channel partnerships and all those things. That's where I try to save, spend my time. But, um, but yeah, it's just such an interesting world that we live in where the phone has become the center of our universe. And if you actually think about it, everything that you're doing is looking at everybody else's life and you're never dealing with you. And I think that's a problem. I kind of hope that on the other side of, you know, whatever, I don't want to say turning the corner on the other, uh, but you understand what I'm saying yeah, that yeah. through whatever this next phase is going to be with the pandemic and the recovery processes that it almost feels like we're going to go back to what we, like our parents used to have their family over for like Saturday, they'd play horseshoes. Like it seems goofy now, but I genuinely think we're going to start to go back to that because we are going to crave and miss larger engagements, but we aren't going to go back to them. So what we are going to do is start to have smaller staged family first, friend focused yeah. get togethers. Like we're going to revisit the fifties and it's going to be kind of fantastic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I honestly, like if I could, if I could shape the world the way I wish it would go is I actually wouldn't mind if it went back to smaller communities where 
you know, there there's, you know, 50 acres and it's, that's your hub. Like that's your community, right? Maybe you go to the market down the road, but you know, it's been interesting to watch these big, huge, you know, the targets and the Walmarts of the world, just like, you know, take over during, during this time and watch small businesses suffer. However, there's an entire community of people who are like, no, 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 no. Like we want to keep things small. Like we still want to have relationships. And so they're probably being the ones being called, you know, conspiracy theorists or the anti whatevers, yeah. but like they want to actually stay together and, and build community. And I think it's interesting. So even where we are here in Northern California, you know, the town that we're in, there's 800 people. The next town over is like 4,000. There's not many people here. And so when all of this has been going on, there's been massive, massive community support. And people have really, really supported one another at levels that you, you, you aren't seeing. They're, they're, you know, they're saying, hey, don't go to the targets of the world. Go to these small businesses. Try to give them your business. Right? Like do what you can to help them order takeout, right? Because that business is struggling. They need, they need your support order takeout from them instead of, you know, a big, you know, McDonald's corporation or Taco Bell or something like that. Right. Like go to the the local, whatever. Um, and so I, I would love to see, you know, I, I mean, I think it'd be kind of cool if the norm was, you know, you and 20 friends buy 50 acres together and then you build like a little community, like a compound that to me is like where I wish the world would go. I think that's awesome. The, it's a very interesting thing that also like social media, what people don't realize is that like people are angry at the 1%. And like, if not sure if you're familiar, you are in the 1% if you're using social media, like the vast majority of people are in some level of affluence, especially worldwide. Yeah. About $37,000 a year. Guess what? You're in the 1%, right? Worldwide. Yeah. So, but there's uh, an unfortunate failure to see beyond that. And this is the irony. A lot of those folks will quote about like, we need to support small businesses. Like, hey, look, I'm going to order from Amazon, but I'm also going to shop at my local bike shop. And when it comes to charitable giving, I do it at a local level, not at a large level, because I know it will be most directly affecting the outcome. Yes. So it's a, it's a way in which I can blend things together almost like a black mirror type of situation where you have like this very normal looking situation with mildly futuristic components. Yes. But like, I like this almost kind of steampunk lifestyle of going to the local diner, but I'm, Hey, I need to order certain stuff off Amazon. So I'm, I'm never against one or the other, but when in doubt, I would always love to support the local community. Yeah. And you're, you're affected. And most people that if they're complaining, if you live in Austin and you're complaining about how Austin's not weird anymore because Silicon Valley's moving to Austin, well, you already lived in a community of affluent people. You, right. then you're, or you live in New York and you're griping about what people think in other parts of the states. Like, remember, most people don't live in New York City. Well, there's a significant, right. like, there's a real, people have real difficulty seeing outside of their sphere of experience. Yeah. It's really difficult for people to become contextual with things that they don't have experience. So I always like to remember that most people, probably all people, right? We all view the world through the lens based on the experiences we've had. So that's why people who are well-traveled usually have a different view than somebody who's kind of like 
yeah, they lived in Northern California, the Bay Area, whatever, their whole lives. And this is the world that they think. And they think that everybody should do what they do. And, you know, and so they vote policies and they vote all those things that they think the, the rest of the country needs. Well, very different than somebody in a flyover state, right? They need very, very different things. And so it's not fair for us to project our lens of the world onto everybody as if everybody is the same and has had the same experiences. It's not possible. And so when I say that, I immediately think back and I go, I tell, I think that making that starting a business and running a business is easy. I think that, well, that's my experience. And that's because I've trained myself and I've gotten myself to the point that running a business now is easy. So my lens is that it isn't for most people or all people or, you know, whatever. Um, however, the one thing that I can say is that all you have to do is experience it. My, you know, the, the persons who, who believes that everybody, everything should be like Silicon Valley and hasn't experienced Kansas. All they have to do is go experience Kansas and then their view changes. So if you think that starting a business, running a business is hard, then go do it, get good at it. And then all of a sudden you think it's easy too. And now you have a different perspective. Yeah. And it's, this is not a, you don't have to go to three years of university to experience. That is for sure. That's right. (laughs) You go to the bookstore. Or you yeah. order off Amazon if because if you can't find a local bookstore anymore, like yeah, uh, but like literally a book called a hundred dollar startup, and that's not necessarily going to be the real cost of the startup, and it costs you seventeen bucks out of your hundred right away because you bought the book. Yeah, but the point <laughs> of it is, it's like it teaches you ideas and methods and how to ideate and how to come yeah. up with like what you can do, and then yeah, just check out YouTube, check out all these things. There's there's so many great free resources and. You know, whether it's a niche pursuit that you're going to go after, whether it's a local specific thing, whatever it's going to be, like you said. Most people have plenty of time to go pursue this information. They have plenty of time, yeah. right? What from, from you put your kids to bed and, you know, whatever, how old your kids are, your family is right. 9 PM and they're in bed and they're, they're out cold. Awesome. From nine to 11, you're jamming on this two hours and you're going down a rabbit hole and you're learning about business and how to start and where, what to do here and how to do this and how to do that. Okay, great. So now you went down that rabbit hole two hours in, you've got pages and pages of notes, you know, what you're going to, what action you're going to take. And the next day you do it again. And the next day you do it again. And the next day you do it again. And guess what? All of a sudden you stop watching TV, you stop scrolling the gram, you stop doing all those things and you start focusing on ways that you can take personal responsibility for your own income, your own life. And a couple months in, you ha- you can have a business that makes you profit. You know, having a business that kicks off an extra hundred dollars a month is is not a joke. That's a real business. Right. That is that is awesome, right? That could be the difference between you eating one month down the road when shit hits the fan, right? Or you know it you know it could turn into something that turns into two thousand dollars a month in income. Or it could turn into $50,000 a month in income. But it starts with that first batch of getting, getting things going. And none of us started a business without going down rabbit holes and trying to figure it out, right? Yep. Nobody did that. Like, I mean, the amount of time that I have spent and still spend, I still spend. I buy everybody's courses. I buy everybody's training. I buy books. I listen to at least two books a week. Um, at least, and I, I'm auditory. So I, I very much, I, I consume content by listening. So I love podcasts. I love audiobooks, 
I consume at least two a week and I go through and I'm like, amazing. This core concept I pulled out of here, I can put into practice and I can go take that one thing and I can go make money. Yeah. Like everybody can do that. Yeah. And it's, uh, there's definitely, there's, there's no reasons why you can't, there's plenty of excuses why you can't. Absolutely. It, it's a, it's a tough one. I just hope that people will, will, will look now. I know we're, we're getting close to time. If you got a few sure. minutes to go a little longer, cause one yeah. thing I really do want to explore is level nine virtual. Cause okay. when, when are people ready to take on a virtual assistant? What's the kind of preparedness state or plan that someone should have to say, I'm a, I can be effective if I bring on a VA because I know well, this one thing that yeah. even I struggle with is I'm like, I never know when's the cut line where I've got enough repeatable tasks that I think that I can offload. Well, uh, I think it's, I, it's a matter of understanding what your needs are, first of all. Okay. So let's say that somebody's in kind of starting, getting going mode. Awesome. What's the number one thing you need? Income. Right. You need clients. You need customers. So guess what a VA can do for you? They can prospect. They can create data, they can data mine and they can create lists. They can help you by doing outreach on your behalf and trying to drum up same way. The, the only reason I'm on this podcast is because one of my VAs reached out to you and said, Hey, I think that Joe would be a good guest on your podcast. Let's make this happen. Right. That is prospecting. The goal is, is that I get exposure from this and potentially I, one person ends up wanting to be, um, you know, in, in, uh, you know, do business with me and, you know, and, and then this was all worth it. So I look at like, well, what do you need in the very beginning? What's the first thing that you have to have? Well, it's probably, um, you know, a client. So if you need a client, then you need somebody to prospect for you. That's an easy one because you can get an immediate ROI. So if you're spending money on that, on that, that pros, uh, prospecting VA, they land you one client. All of a sudden they pay for themselves times two, three, four, five. Right. Right. So that's really, really important. I think you start with what you actually need. And then from there, that can carry over. Right. This is, and this is interesting too, is I'll say that it's, it's counter and in all the right ways to sort of the, the, the Ferris, the way that he wrote about VAs of like, make sure you've got a lot of repeatable tasks. And he says the hardest ones that you need to do first, but the hardest to give up is the financials dealing with invoicing yeah. and stuff like that. So it's, it's, but it's funny, like the way that you describe it, it's immediately obvious that like, this will be a benefit. I Facebook ads was a great example of like, look, I hate Facebook through and through. Yeah, Haven't been on it for years. Uh, and I finally show up, added a bunch of my friends because you can't help it. I'm like, I hate to tell you, I'm like, you're my audience, not my friends at this point, because I'm never going to be on here except by advertising. And so I spent money on an ad and the net result was, you know, two conversions. Okay. Um, you know, yeah. Many impressions, but it's like I spent forty dollars and I made six dollars. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So like, okay. Cool. Repeat. Right. Yes. And in the way that you described your VA, it's specific. It's that exact thing of like use them towards a revenue generating opportunity, and then get them to pay for themselves, and then give them more things instead of wait until you've got enough repeatable things that you can hand off to somebody, which is, uh, you've, you found the right formula. Yeah. Well, you don't have repeatable things until you have customers. Yeah. <laughs> right? There's not a lot going on because, because until you have customers, you don't have a business. Yeah. Right. And so that's why I say, go for the revenue first, 
use that VA to set, you know, set the opportunities up for you to get you in front of, to start developing relationships so that you can start selling clients. And as you start developing those relationships and you start selling and getting customers, now all of a sudden you have things that need to get done, but you also have money to spend on it. You also have resources. You don't have any resources if you don't have any customers. So the first thing I do is I say, hey, prospecting is number one. Let's get some customers in the door. Awesome. As customers come in the door, it's not like you just jam and you have a thousand customers and now you have a problem with your invoicing. Yeah. That's not it. You can have a hundred customers a month and it would probably take you an hour to do all of your invoicing. It's not that big of a deal. So do you need that next? No, you don't. What you need is the next phase of your business. So my philosophy is now when I launch a new business and we launch a new, a, a, a new something project that we're doing, I start off with two VAs in the beginning. I have what I call my get shit done VA, who is basically a utility player. Their job is to take all of the stuff that pulls me away from doing revenue generating activities and getting them done. That is their job. My email, I don't check my email. Terrence actually checks my email. Terrence checks my email. He's on top of messages that come in through our marketing platform. He's on top of all of these things because it gives me freedom to focus on sales because right. sales in the beginning is the most important thing. It drives whether the business even gets off the ground. So then I have my prospecting VA who goes out and does all my prospecting. They set appointments, they get me calls, they get me in front of the right customers. I sell the customers. Now we have another problem, fulfillment. So now that I have customers and I've got a couple going, I need people to fulfill the services that we're actually promising. So now I put people in place for that because now I have a need. Four days ago, before those customers existed, I didn't have a need for them. So I'm not putting them in place. So now all of a sudden I have a need, we put them in place, they fulfill services, and now we have a machine. Now when things start to get going and, and humming, now we can put somebody financially in, in place. Now they can do invoicing, they can handle payroll, they can handle like whatever, you know, all, all those pieces are. It's, uh, it's like nutritional you know, process for the mind and for the business. It's funny that like, I remember when people say like, it's hard to, hard to get fit. It's hard to diet. It's hard to control your weight. I'm like, no, it's hard to change habits. Once you change yes. the habit, it's hard not to diet and to stay. Right. I always described people said, you know how, when you go to McDonald's and then like, and you're done your meal and you're like, ah, oh, you feel like really gross and full. I get that as I take the first bite. I get, I feel regret before I even begin. And it makes me think I'm never, I'm not going to do this for months. And I haven't, I, you know. Yeah. And so what you're describing too, is the same thing of like, do set the process up so that everything you think is it's, it's immediate. Like, like I know the motion and you never want to go, you never want to not do this. Right. Right. Versus if we wait for the repeatable things, that's like saying, I'm going to wait before I save enough money to buy a really nice pair of running shoes and a really nice bike before right. I start exercising. Yeah. Now all you need to do is walk, go like, yeah, do, right. just get out. Do, do some it's like you don't need stuff, you know, to, to do all that, you know? Um, but you know, it, it, it's funny. I think that those are all excuses again, right? Repeatable tasks. I don't have enough stuff. Well, guess what? That's not what you need. You don't need repeatable tasks. You need money. So if you need money, put somebody in place to help you get money. Like, let's do that. That is an easy solution to a major problem. 
and you can fix it literally instantly. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, I just, all of my businesses are super simple. The, the structure of the companies are simple. Our methodology, when we go to launch something new and try something new is identical. It's always the same, the same people go to the same place, you know, the, the same roles, I guess, go to the same places and do the same things, no matter what we do. And it works every single time. And then we know really, really quickly, if we're having success, if we're not having success, if we need to, you know, can the deal, if we need right. to press, you know, press on the gas, like we can figure it out really quick because we have the right people in the right places and, and putting the right people in the right places, right. What I call butts and seats, which is kind of funny because everybody's virtual uh, <laughs> is, uh, is, is really what level nine virtual does. You know, we provide that gap that most people exist in their business. They're trying to get started or maybe they're up and running and now they're like, well, now I got a lot of stuff going on. Great. We fill that gap. That's our role. We fill that gap. Then you learn to scale that and use them to build teams. And that's what our virtual assistants do for people. When especially you think like payroll, look, we talked about it for the same for the multi-billion dollar company. The biggest impact that they have on their, their spending is payroll. Yep. And it can taking it all. Like, do you want to take the responsibility of somebody's full-time life feeding their family versus getting something that can do the task that can get you up so that down the road you can hire people, but when you're ready yep. and when you've got the processes in place and in the, res what's the result? People will say, well, you know, Eric, you know, Joe, you're talking about this stuff, but what about these poor part-time workers? Well, I'm banking that the 20 plus people that work for level nine virtual are pretty darn full-time people, right? They probably do a lot of work. And so you're feeding back to the community through yeah. enabling and empowering however many clients each of them can take on. Yeah. Sounds like a, yeah. Sounds like a happy system to me, right? It's a, yeah, it's a really happy system. I mean, we have, you know, we have 22 internal employees uh, that work just on my projects and my companies and the things that I'm involved in. And then they also manage the hundreds and hundreds of VAs that are working for clients. And so that's, that's where, I mean, it's really, really cool. I don't have to actually operate my companies because they do. And so just like big companies, we put the same systems in place. I just use virtual assistants and I, you know, I get to rent my guest house from, you know, my company rents my guest house yeah. as office space. That's pretty cool. Right. It's a nice way to pay a mortgage. It's, uh... <laughs> And it's, it's value creation yeah, in, in the most beautiful form and, yeah. and it's successful. So I think <clears throat> if you had, so for folks that want to find it more, definitely we'll have links down uh, for level nine virtual. Uh, and and yeah, I imagine that you got a client coming your way shortly because. Awesome. Uh, yeah. That sounds great. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I won't steal Terrence. He, I've already met Terrence uh, virtually. He's fantastic. You can't have him. <laughs> uh, he's, uh, I imagine he's doing some some profound work, and and I certainly wouldn't want to steal him away. But it's it's good, you know. I said it, and everybody that listens to this stuff, they should be excited, not incited, when they right. hear about right. opportunity. This is pretty cool. So, Joe, thank you very much. It's really yeah, my really pleasure. Great to, it's a, it's a passionate discussion and anybody that doesn't listen to this and say like, okay, I'm ready to try it. Like they can, they can definitely do it. Uh, what's the best way if, if folks want to contact you, uh, how they can get a hold of you? Yeah. Level nine virtual.com. So level the number nine virtual.com. You can book a call right there on the site. Um, super easy. 
And uh, when you're not doing many uh, niche uh, things, uh, you know, I love that, you know, family first and you've got lots of great stuff and stories about your family. So uh, thank you for spending the time with me and being a part of my podcast yeah. family for, for the last little while here today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome.